Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club, a Rhode Island-based club of passionate birders like you. Become a member and check out the fall edition of our newsletter. Find us on Facebook and at OceanStateBirdClub.org. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 813. And Happy New Year. Time Magazine wrapped up 2020 by announcing its Person of the Year, the person, persons, or group who they believe did the most to influence the events of the year. And they chose President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Meanwhile, the American Birding Association has chosen its Bird of the Year, a kind of an iconic bird that fascinates people and maybe gets a lot of people interested in the idea of watching birds, and so the bird of the year. A really long drum roll here is the pileated woodpecker. There it is. The ABA's bird of the year. Here's uh, another bird. This is our mystery bird. So we can't really say what it is right now, but give you some clues here. It's a small songbird that feeds on weed and grass seeds in deserts and dunes, pastures and prairies, beaches and plowed fields. Our bird, which breeds through Alaska and the Canadian Arctic, winters over almost all of the U.S. and down through central Mexico, has a pale brown back with black patches on the chest and face, a pale yellowish throat and a distinctive pair of protruding feathers at the top of its head that give it its descriptive name and its common name. And that's our mystery bird. A beautiful prize includes, or prize as, includes the Droll Yankees' original, iconic, A6F classic tube feeder. It comes with the Droll Yankees' lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. And the bonus prize, our favorite coffee, a big bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee prizes. Clues in the sound of our mystery bird. The contest coming along here in just a little bit. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you right now on our TalkingBirds.com website and our Facebook page. A nest cam featuring a royal northern albatross will connect you to one at Ahead, New Zealand. From the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, 15 conservation stories to watch in 2021. Meanwhile, the folks at Cornell Lab's eBird have created a global look at movements and distribution of bird species. Pretty fascinating, and we'll link you to it on our page. And our good friend and Talking Birds ambassador, Chris Powell, is an amazing bird photographer and we'll link you to a video of his spectacular photo exhibit in Bristol, Rhode Island. Those are some of the stories and videos on our TalkingBirds.com website and our Facebook page right now. By the way, don't forget to check out our Kids in Nature page.
page for some terrific ideas about getting kids interested in nature and birds. Here's this week's salute to some Talkin' Birds ambassadors who are helping us get the word out about birds and conservation. And thank you to BJB from Vero Beach, Florida. That B, the initial, his last name. BJ, thank you so much for becoming a Talkin' Birds ambassador. And thanks to maybe our most long-distance ambassador so far, that's Lin Kjo Kta from Yangon, Myanmar. She says, I'm a freelance writer about birds, and I'm writing articles on my Facebook page named The Expressive Wildlife Rewilding Myanmar. How cool is that? Thank you so much, Lynn. Well, Talking Birds listeners, will you help us get a good start to the new year by joining our ambassadors family? It's very easy to do on our website, TalkingBirds.com. Just go to the Become Involved tab right there at the top of the home page. That's TalkingBirds.com. Still to come on our show today, we'll connect with... That's right, Alabama, when we hear about coastal water birds and how folks from Audubon, Alabama, are working to save them. We'll also hear from Mike O'Connor on Cape Cod in our Let's Ask Mike segment about how birds are using the baths in his backyard. And up next, we'll hear the cool, cascading calls of Catherpes mexicanus. It's our featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. The rock wren, which was our mystery bird a few weeks ago, caused a big stir recently in the state of Maine, where it was spotted numerous times far from its southwestern U.S. home territory. Today we feature a relative and neighbor of that wren. This one sports a white throat and chest, rusty brown coloring over most of its body, highlighted by dark barring on its wings and long tail, and a long, thin bill. This agile bird uses that long, slender bill to probe for insects in crevices among rocks and cliff faces as it sends its distinctive cascading voice echoing off canyon walls. It's the canyon wren. Because it has a slightly flattened skull and a vertebral column that's attached higher on its skull than in most other birds, the canyon wren is able to fit its head into tight crevices to reach prey hiding there. And the bird can survive in its dry environment because it doesn't need to drink water getting the moisture it needs from its insect food. Canyon wrens have been seen feeding right next to desert springs without taking a drink. A group of wrens, by the way, has a number of collective names, including a flight, a flock, a chime, and a herd of wrens. Catherpes mexicanus, the canyon wren. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show number 813 and another happy new year to you. Hope you'll join us on our website and check out our things over there. It's TalkingBirds.com with no G in Talking. One of the most biodiverse states in America and especially rich in shorebirds and seabirds and other avian life and its waterways forming the Mobile River Basin 
have led some to call Alabama America's Amazon. Its extensive coastline is home to a dizzying variety of shorebirds and seabirds, but it's all facing big challenges, and to tell us about those challenges and efforts to meet them is Dr. Leanne Kozier, Science and Conservation Director for Alabama Audubon. She joins us now from Birmingham, Alabama. Good morning, Leanne. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you, and Happy New Year, and thanks for, uh, th- thanks for being with us. So, Leanne, I wonder if you could expand uh, a little bit on my description there about Alabama and about the amazing biodiversity there, especially regarding birds. Yeah, you know, I think it's something that a lot of people in the country don't realize, that Alabama is the most biodiverse state east of the Mississippi, Mm. and then fifth overall. Uh, We have recorded 449 bird species that Mm. have pass through the state, whether it's on migration or, you know, wintering a resident bird. So a great diversity of bird species and what you're talking about there, the the Mobile River Basin, that's one of the reasons that the state is so biodiverse. We just have this incredible variety of habitats from coastal wetlands and marshes to swamps to forests and the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. I mean, it really is an incredible state. Mm-hmm. So you have something prominently displayed, uh, Leanne, on your website, the Coastal Stewardship and Conservation headline there, the big part of what you do. And if I'm correct, since 2018, you've been undertaking an Alabama Coastal Bird Stewardship Program. Tell us about that. Yeah, our program um, was established there on the coast in 2017 with funding from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation and the Alabama Department of Conservation. And we've been monitoring and protecting breeding birds on the coast since 2018, um, so for the past three years, um, working to protect breeding pairs through education and outreach and putting up um, fencing around nesting areas to try and protect those birds from disturbance. Um, And then we're out during the non-breeding season the rest of the year doing bird surveys, trying to get an idea of all the different species that use our coastal areas during migration and during the non-breeding season. Mm -hmm. So what birds are among those most affected? Least terns, uh, maybe other tern species, black skimmers maybe? Yeah, so we focus our monitoring efforts on least terns, snowy plovers, um, black skimmers, and then we have a few pairs of oyster catchers and reddish egrets. Um, and yeah, you know, I think um, there hasn't really been this consistent coastwide effort for monitoring Alabama's beach nesting birds um, until our program. And in 2019, we had almost a thousand least turn nests that we estimated on the coast and of those um only 15 fledglings came from close to a thousand nests Mm. um so yeah i think there was this idea that maybe you know we have a good size population for kind of a small coast you know a small coastline but then when you start looking at the actual reproductive success and the output it's it's a pretty grim story. Mm-hmm. So these birds definitely need some help. Certainly. And, of course, whenever you talk about the Gulf and birds and shorelines, people still remember the Deepwater Horizon spill. And what about the lingering effects of that? How much does that play into the problem? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that there's a lot we still don't know, even 10 years after the spill. Um, estimates of direct mortality of birds um, from the oil spill, even those estimates range pretty widely from 100,000 to a million mm. individual birds. Um, so just getting a really accurate estimate of that was difficult. Um, but, you know, we do know some of the lingering effects for sure. Um, we know that this oil spill, just it didn't just cover pelicans and oil and cause these direct mortalities, right? It affected the entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It affected marine species. It affected the fish that these birds eat. Um, you know, so it's all connected. And um, really understanding those connections and those impacts. I think people are dedicating whole careers to at this point. Um, yeah, indeed. And and I, I was just reading, and I, I had really forgotten about this because the Deepwater Horizon spill was such a big story and continues to be. There had been another big spill, the Ixtoc 1, in 1979. That was a big one. It was just forgotten maybe just because of the size of the of the other spill yeah um that that definitely could be i mean there have been a number um you know there's that oil spill off the coast of california that had a really bad impact on on seabirds um you know and i think that's it's a looming threat you know there's they're still drilling there's still these wells out in the gulf in terms of those lingering effects too it's not just the direct mortality, but we know just like people that this exposure to oil can cause things like cancer and reproductive issues, and that can happen in birds too. So I think those kind of things take time to really see the effects and understand them. Mm-hmm. Let me switch gears here a little bit, Leanne, and talk about something else uh, that Alabama Audubon is doing. It's the Black Belt birding initiative has nothing to do with martial arts i i don't think <laughs> but uh, no. it, but it is still a, a name with a, a kind of a complex meaning could you describe that for us yeah so you know we do work all over the state um, not just on the coast and we just hired our first black belt coordinator um and we've been doing some work in the black belt area of alabama so just is um, historically it was these black belt prairies and it got that name from the really rich um, great soil in the area mm-hmm. um, but yeah it is um, a complex name you know because of that rich soil that was an area that had um, a lot of cotton agriculture um, you know so um, historically there's this sort of negative connotation as well but we are really working to get the word out about this area in terms of its bird biodiversity. Um, It really is this hidden gem in the state for birding, and we're trying to get the word out. Um, Mm -hmm. We really think it should be on your list of birding destinations. It should be the Rio Grande Valley and then the Black Belt of Alabama. We have kites and scissor tail flycatchers, painted buntings, wood storks. Uh, It's just such an incredible area. Mm-hmm. The Black Belt, the Black Belt Birding Initiative. Uh, lots of information about that on your website and about your partnership with Bird Collective, which is terrific. And you have some heavy hitters involved, Jason Ward, Dr. Drew Lanham, and yeah. others. Uh, all uh, info on your website, alaudubon.org. And just uh, in the minute we have remaining, I wanted to ask you about this online course 
this is certainly the time for people taking online courses, <laughs> probably more than uh, than ever. And this particular one, Audubon at Home, Mastering Winter Waterbird, starts on January 11th, right? Yep. It's, um, it's going to be four courses starting on the 11th. Um, one, I believe it's one per week. And it's $40 for the four courses. Um, Greg Harbour is going to be teaching that one. He's just an expert birder and really great at giving tips for identifying birds. Um, well, it's going to focus on species that you probably see um, in Alabama that definitely translates to other parts of the country. Um, and, you know, our courses are open to anyone, anywhere. You can find more information online on, on our website. And, yeah, and we'll be offering more classes in the new year. Um, January 27th, we'll have um, a guest speaker, Ben Rains, who wrote the book about um, Alabama's Amazon there, about the mm-hmm. biodiversity of the Mobile River Basin. So that should be a really great talk, too. Yes, and indeed. That's free. Yeah. And that's a free one. That's Saving America's yeah. Amazon. Yeah. So all of these things can be found at alaudubon.org. I call it alaudubon.org, but that's just <laughs> me. But alaudubon.org is the website. Dr. Leanne Kozier is the Science and Conservation Director for Alabama Audubon. Leanne, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for being with us, and keep up the great work. Thank you. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to cross a few species off your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you want to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. It's our mystery bird, and this is our mystery bird contest. And by the way, if you're not hearing our show live and would like to, so you can take part in our mystery bird contest, for example, just go to talkinbirds.com. And you'll see how to do it to listen live. Very easy to do. And our live broadcast is on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10 Eastern. Our mystery bird is a small songbird that feeds on weed and grass seeds in deserts and dunes, pastures and prairies, beaches and plowed fields. Our bird, which breeds through Alaska and the Canadian Arctic, winters over almost all of the U.S. and down in through central Mexico has a pale brown back with black patches on the chest and face, a pale yellowish throat, and a distinctive pair of little protruding feathers on the top of its head that give it its descriptive name. Tell us what it is and win some fabulous prizes or just take a guess and win by default if we don't get a correct answer. Either way, it's 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Four nine hundred. The prizes include the Droll Yankees original iconic A6F classic tube feeder featuring durable metal parts. The Droll Yankees says squirrels can't 
Chew, and they back that up by including a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Bonus prize, a 12-ounce bag of our favorite coffee. It's delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Wonderful to drink and a great way to help save the birds in their tropical environments. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor, almost live from the archive. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. It's time again already for New Year's resolutions. Have you resolved to improve your birding skills? Maybe dive deeper into ornithology study? With one of the largest selections of birding books in the world, Beautio Books offers everything from backyard birding books to general ornithology, from field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all and a whole lot more in one convenient place, beautyobooks.com. That's B-U-T-E-O, beautyobooks.com. My name is Kathy Rigling, and I'm from Tangerine, Florida. I decided to be a Talking Birds ambassador. I realized how much I enjoyed the show and how much I was learning, and I wanted to share that. I encourage other listeners to go ahead and take the next step and become an ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage at TalkingBirds.com. Must be spring because Mike has thousands of robins in his neighborhood. Or at least he did last week. Good morning, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's spring, all right. Yeah. Good morning, Ray. You can tell. Didn't you say it was in the seventies inside your house or close to it? <laughs> That's right. Yep, I tell everybody it's 70 down here, but only inside. You've got Baltimore Orioles, too, I understand, uh, in your bird bath. We have a crazy amount of robins. We have cedar trees in the neighborhood, and they've been chowing the cedar trees. Huh. And a, a couple, a pair of Orioles who uh, apparently missed the memo when they decided to stay here for the winter. <laughs> wow. Well, last week we heard from our friend and Talking Birds ambassador Dave Haas up in Lancaster, New Hampshire, about starlings in his heated bird bath. And I mean uh, bathing, not just drinking, when it was five below zero. Um, is this only in New Hampshire that this sort of thing happens, or what? <laughs> yeah, that's a warm day in New Hampshire. They've taken advantage <laughs> of it. Yeah, I, I've been looking into that. I have a crazy amount of starlings coming through with the robins, and I've got several heated bird baths. And heated bird baths are a really good thing. <laughs> All these birds, like robins and starlings and bluebirds, by gosh, bluebirds eat a lot of berries, and they have to cycle those through. They have to wash those berries through. Some of them are a little bit fermented, so a little bit toxic, so they yeah. drink a lot of water to wash them through. And they've been hitting the bird baths heavy, not necessarily my yard, but all the my customers' uh, bird baths. And they come come and drink, and they typically don't. When it gets too cold, they they don't bath. They get that kind of thing in their brain shuts them down, so they come and drink, but they're not taking the bath like they do. And the fact that. Um, they, there's one uh, starling in New Hampshire. I didn't see one bird use the, uh, you know, take a bath at all. And I had a lot of birds pouring through. I had to keep filling the, the bird bath three or four times a day. So many birds were drinking out of it. So I've been kind of looking into this a little bit, and it's, it sounds like occasionally a bird will do that, but it, maybe there's something wrong with it. You know, like birds get themselves into trouble and they, something goes wrong, and maybe this bird was unhealthy in some other direction, and that's why it was taking a bath when it probably shouldn't attack. Cold. They do when it warms up, 
the we talked about the oil a second ago, and it's just before the storm, our temperature here went up to 30, and right in the birdbath, that oil went, and this oil was looking really disheveled because of, it's kind of out of his element right now, mm-hmm. and as soon as he hit the bath, he came back, he was all oil pretty looking again, wow. and so it's important for him to do that, but... It's probably something wrong with that crazy stuff. The bird brain is what they, uh, <laughs> what they use to describe that. Mike, thank All you. Right. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week and Happy New Year. You too, and stay warm, right? In the January-February issue of Birdwatching Magazine, read about new discoveries scientists have made tracking birds. A photographer's reflections on a special birding site in New York City. David Sibley's tips for finding exciting water birds in winter, and much more. On newsstands now. There it is, our mystery bird. 781-837-4900 is the number. Our bird is a small songbird that feeds on weed and grass seeds in deserts and dunes, pastures and prairies, beaches and plowed fields. What is that mystery bird? Maybe Mallory in Chelsea, Michigan uh, might have the uh, the answer there. Uh, good morning, Mallory. Good morning. How are you? Um, well, thanks. Nice to hear from you from Chelsea, Michigan. And this exposes my geographical lack of knowledge and... Don't know where Chelsea, Michigan is. Can you tell us? Yeah. Do you know where Ann Arbor is, the University of Michigan? Uh, well, I certainly know of it. I, I, I'm not sure I could pinpoint it on a map, but I, of course, know of, of Ann Arbor. Yes. So it's southeast Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, we're about 25 miles west of the university, about an hour and a half from Detroit. All west. right. Very the nice. <laughs> yeah. I've got it now, I think. Yes. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for that. And uh, Mallory, what about our mystery bird? What do you say that is? I think it is a horned lark. You think it is a horned lark. I think you know that it's a horned lark. Good. Oh, wonderful. You're just being modest there. Yes, horn. Whoa! You got a fan there. That's my husband. He's very happy for me. I can tell. That is so nice. All right. Well, you and your husband win that beautiful Droll Yankees feeder and the big bag of delicious uh, birds and beans coffee. And if you'll uh, stay on the line. In fact, don't stay on the line yet. Well, stay on the line, but don't don't, uh, end our chat yet because we want to ask you a bonus question if you're interested. Oh, my. I'll take a stab at it. All right. What animals did the Coast Guard once train to help in sea rescues? What animals did the Coast Guard once train to help in sea rescues? It's a multiple-choice question here. Is it A, bottlenose dolphins, C, golden retrievers, C, rock pigeons, or D, former actors from Baywatch? Those oh, my. Would, yeah, those would be your choices uh, on that. Yeah. What do you think? Okay, well, just because it's a bird show, <laughs> I'm going to go with C. Rock pigeons. Yeah. Yes. You are right and uh, very logical in your determination on that, too. <laughs> yeah, according to the Washington Post, back in the 70s, the U.S. Coast Guard trained some pigeons to help with their search and rescue duties. They created a food reward system that trained the birds to tap when they spotted something orange like a life preserver. And it worked. The pigeons spotted their target 90% of the time on a helicopter's first pass over an area, while the helicopter crew succeeded less than 40% of the time. And the pigeons were first to report a sighting almost every time. However, despite those impressive stats... Budget cuts in the early 80s led to the program being shut down. 
Maybe they'll start it up again. We'll see. <laughs> Mallory, thank you so much, and congratulations, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you so much, Ray. Coming up next, uh, what? The end of our show is what's coming up next here, but um, I wanted to mention something briefly there. I know what it was to identify the bird, just in case we didn't clearly. It was the horned lark. Next week, we'll meet one of the rogue birders from the group of that name comprised of like-minded birders seeking to promote the support of animal rehabilitation, banding research, and the encouragement of youth involvement. That's right here on our show next week. Meanwhile, we hope you'll uh, follow us on the old social media there and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, Special Assistant Audrey Stack, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club, a Rhode Island based club of passionate birders like you. Become a member and check out the fall edition of our newsletter. Find us on Facebook and at OceanStateBirdClub.org.